welcome to Should I Get Bangs? I'm Julia Razi, and today's guest is the wonderful Sydney Washington. She's a comedian, storyteller. She hosts two awesome podcasts, Hobby Hunter and Unofficial Expert. And I just, I loved talking to her. This episode gets deep. It gets dark. Uh, I'm going to warn you, we, we do talk about suicidal thoughts. So if that's something you know, that is triggering for you to hear. I just want to let you know that off the bat, but I think the conversation that we have is important and relatable and, you know, I hope you connect to it. I love your journey because I think it's, well, okay, I'll just let you take it from here, but I know you're going to talk to us about when you used to drink a lot and work Mm -hmm. in bottle service and How that all, I mean, I just, tell me everything. Well, basically what had happened was, you know, I I went to school for for communication. So just naturally, it's like, you're going to be a waitress. Like, that's just what, that's (laughs) just, that there's no way around it. It's like, you went to school to talk. You are going to be talking with glasses in your hand. You're going to be serving people. Uh, So I, I, I left school and the the closest thing you could get is like a hostess job. I got a hostess job. I was really good New at York. it. Yeah, New York. And then I was realizing I was like, oh, who are these girls with the trays? With the, the girls with the trays, they 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 look like they making money. And so that's when I learned about you know the cocktail waitress and the bottle servers. And I said, oh, and I t- had talked to this girl, and she's like, yeah, I'm at eight hundred dollars tonight. Wow, eight hundred dollars just boop you know, just dropping off drinks. And she wasn't even sweating, no nothing. I said, okay, I think I could do that. You know, I've, I feel like you only need one one hand to do that. Yeah. And how old were you at the time? Uh, 2022, maybe? Okay. Mm-hmm. 22, I started, I was a hostess at a, at a bar, at a hotel bar lounge. And then um, I slid on over to the, to the waitress side the cocktail waitress and I was at this place called Rose Bar and it's very upscale. Like the drinks are like $22. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting like Cavassier XO. People are getting champagne, like $55 a glass, like just dumb shit, you know? I don't even understand. Even when I've been, the very few times I've been invited to a place like that for free, you know what I mean? Like, like it was taken care of. I couldn't, I, I hated it. I hated um, being on the receiving end of that. I don't get it. Um, I don't get it, but I do get it because it's a it's an atmosphere. It's a vibe. It's just like you could go to any dive bar and have an experience. But when you're in a nice lounge and the drinks, like the mixed cocktails, when you hear that, you hear that little shake in the cocktail mm-hmm. shaker. Mm-hmm. Like, oh fuck. Like we here. You know, they put the little zest on it. You're like, oh, bitch. <laughs> the fifty five dollar like, zest. Girl, listen, the prices were hiked all the way up because they were like the people coming in here, they can afford it. Why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if you if you're walking in and you look at the menu and you're already talking about prices, you need to get the fuck out. That's it. I guess what I'm thinking of is I just know a handful of people I've met throughout my life that would go to those places. And I know that they were like really blowing their money. Like they probably should have saved that money for rent. Oh, bitch. I'm one of them. 
Like I wasn't I wasn't paying $55 for drinks, but I was in that lifestyle, that world where it's like, okay, all the all the girls would go out like on their night off and go to a bar or a restaurant or a club. And we just we all put our cards down and the bill is like three hundred, four hundred dollars because it's like eight of us. Yeah. And we wouldn't even think twice about it, you know? Cause we're just like, yeah, this is this is what we're getting. If because you get phased out of getting stuff for free, you know. Eventually, yeah. you're like, I bitch, you didn't hit what twenty eight. What do we need to keep giving you free stuff for? Yeah. So would you drink at work a lot? Oh, that's where I developed my addiction. <laughs> what did, you thought? I just became addicted on my own, not with well, my own dime. Well, it did was, you did you drink before that? Yes, I I drank. In college a little bit. Um, I remember the first time I got blacked out, I had Absolute Citron and Sprite Remix. I knew the exact drink that got me so fucked up and got me sick. And like I was out of commission for a whole day. It was not 99 apples, not, um, not Bacardi Raz. It was Absolute Citron and Sprite Remix. Wait, what Sprite remixes the... It was like, it was like a Sprite, but more of a fruity flavor. It wasn't okay. just, it wasn't like a lime. It was like a lime-ish, berry-ish flavor. My drink in college was vodka, whatever cheap one, uh, peach schnapps, Ooh. and Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up. It was so sweet. And then I would always, when I was drunk, because I li- I went to college in Ithaca, and that was where they had, like, one of the first Wegmans. Mm-hmm. And I would always buy, like, bulk candy. And so I would eat all that shit. And then uh, I would then I would drink all that, like, sugary shit, and then I would eat all this candy. Yeah, that don't sound good to me. I mean, that no. that's something that I do currently without the – the liquor, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll get, I'll get a, um, a Snapple raspberry iced tea and then I'll get uh sour power straws, strawberry flavor. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, it's clear you don't want your legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So, you know, I started drinking in college, but not too heavily. You know, we only do it on the weekends. It wasn't like during the week situation. And then, you know, you get out, you get a job, you're working, you're waitressing. And I was an, I was a new girl. So I these girls had been working for a while and they've been making so much money that they were like giving up their shifts left and right. Because they were like, oh, I worked three nights and I made $1,200 each night. I don't Damn. need this. I don't need, I don't need this fourth shift. So I would pick up the shifts and then eventually I was that girl that was working every, I would pick up everybody's shifts and I would be working four times a week, sometimes five. And I'm drinking every night. You know, I wouldn't say that I was drinking right in the beginning, but as soon as I got comfortable working there and I knew that I could drink and work at the same time, I was going to do it. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, did it make it more bearable? I'm guessing. Not bearable per se, because when I first started, I was making so much money. I was having a blast. I was yeah. meeting I was meeting new people. There were so many celebrities coming in. There was so much drama. It, it was just fun. Like I wanted to be in that world. And then after three years, four years, you're like, okay, this is, I've seen it all. I'm not impressed when Madonna comes in. I'm like, 
she's got she's got her regular face on today. She's not she don't have a Botox face today. She's got the I the Botox have settled and I haven't got a re up and she's just in sweats. She's chilling. You're like I, not impressed anymore. I I've like the my version of this is like the tiniest, least glamorous one, which is I worked uh not right out of college. It was like I don't know. I think I was like 28, 29. I worked very briefly. I think I lasted six months at uh, a bar called Down the Hatch. Do you know Down the Hatch? It's It, it feels like I might know. It was in like where, you know, 6th and 7th Avenue, like one of those side streets mm-hmm. in between there. Yeah. And it was definitely like a, yeah, just like a bar, like a, you know, probably a lot of underage, I don't know, a lot of young people. And I worked dollar draft night (laughs) and if it wasn't for this one guy who would come in with his like team from work who would always give me like a $200 tip I would make no money because people people would come in one time this guy tried to give me a 10% tip on a dollar and I in pennies and I threw the coins at him and I got in trouble for throwing coins but I we get hammered to be like the only way I could do my shift is if I did, if I drink whiskey, cause it was, it was unbearable to like, cause I wasn't making that much money. Oh yeah. When you are looking at you, when you're checking out and you are just keep counting, 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 you see some of the people over tipping you one, you're like rich people are stupid. And um, <laughs> also like, I am doing something illegal. Why am I getting this money? I didn't do much, you know, or I, or I did do much, but I still didn't believe that I deserved that amount of money. Wow. Okay. And because I didn't felt like I didn't deserve it. I didn't know what to do with it. And then that's when the reckless behavior was coming in. So what was the reckless behavior? Um, yeah, just like, you start building up your tolerance for drinking and then you drink and then eventually you're going to be friends with the local drug dealer that's in the bar. You're going to be hanging out with people who just have drugs readily and the access, the access where you're like, I'm doing this so much that I'm not, I'm not making too many mistakes because this is just routine now. So I'm now I'm doing like, like maybe four or five years in, then I started doing like cocaine, like at work all the time, just doing bumps, coming back up, working just and it wasn't it's not it wasn't unheard of because other people were doing drugs as well the the people who the people who work there the people who are coming in I mean it's but then it was like I was getting I started drinking at six o'clock I was moving up the the hours before it was like oh I'm only gonna start drinking at 10 10 30 midnight but then it was like okay the earlier the shift the more like I would do day shifts and then by 8.30, I'm blasted. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I was and, I was still functioning. Wow. And so what was it – like, was there a moment or something that made you – like, specifically that made you sort of change or – Yes. Um. So then, you know, I got a second – waitressing job because I was like, yeah, more money. Why not? And this really was, yes. Yeah. And how I, much how much were you making at that time at the first job? Honey, I don't even know because I wasn't I wasn't holding myself accountable. Also I wasn't doing my taxes, so I had no clue. But um I was definitely making 
over a hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe maybe a hundred and twenty thousand. Like I was making so much money because I was working all the time. There's and why no- did you think you needed a second job? Um, I needed to spice up my routine. I was like, if I'm in another place, because one job it's like you could do cocktails and um, food and bottles. And then there's one place is just exclusively bottles. Mm-hmm. So you get the bottles, drop it off. It's, it's, it's less work. It's work, but it's, you feel like, Oh, I'm dropping off these bottles. I'm making these drinks. I'm talking to people. And it it's not as strenuous. Mm-hmm. LOL. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's there's a picture of me on a surfboard carrying two magnums of Dom. Oh my god. Yeah. On a surfboard. Like they the security guards are carrying me out on a surfboard with two magnums of Dom. Also, you're saying it's not that hard, but then meanwhile, like the tax, like how taxing it is to your body. Oh. Yeah, that's I think that's when I was like man, I am just chasing, chasing this like high because then I'm not only getting fucked up at work, but then I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to a club after my shift. Do you hear me? Like that, I didn't, I didn't realize how psychotic I was until like after the fact when it's all said and done. But yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't do my job. Now it's time to pump. Now it's time to put keep my heels on and go to another club and stay there till 7 a.m. Oh, my God. You had to work in heels? Oh, girl. I was never one of those. That's when I knew I was checked out when I started wearing, like, orthopedic flats <laughs> at the job. That's when I knew. I was like, okay, we're done. It's, oh. time, it's time to hang it up. Were you good in heels? I've never been good in heels. Great in heels. I had I had heels. I had wedges. I did I did kitten heel for a little bit, and then I was like, "This is this now. This is embarrassing." But I did like wedges and four inch platforms, five inch. I was really doing a number. And then when you see my feet, you're like, actually, for all the things that you've been through, they could look worse. <laughs> I will definitely check out Wiki Feet after this. Uh, <laughs> I've definitely had toenails fall off. Oh my god! Because somebody has hit up against my foot, and then the toenail dies yeah. and falls off. Oh, I I have yeah heels. I've never been good. I can do like a tiny heeled booty, but that's about it. To work in heels like that is labor. Like. I, okay. So you get the second job. Yeah. Riff Raffs. Place called Riff Raffs. Okay. And that was a little bit more chill or is it still upscale? No. It, they claim it's upscale, but we're putting like face paint on. It's real tribal. We're, we have <laughs> we have tiki uh, uh, punch bowls. Super people pizza. Are, people are drinking out of straws. Just uh-huh. adults going ham. And are either of these places still open? No, actually, no. Yeah. No. No. The Riff Raffs got, after they fired me, ironically, they got shut down. And I said, my God is always on time. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so I I also want to hear why you got fired. Does that have to do with the whole breakthrough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the breakthrough. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Um, So now I'm like eight. I was like eight years in, I Holy think. Holy shit. Eight, seven or eight years in. Oh my God, I'm like tired just thing. listening to you. Oh, the fact that I have decent posture is insane. It's sane. 
And great skin. Great skin. Well, that's because I stopped drinking and mm. doing drugs. I think that has definitely helped. But um, I, now I'm like, I'm I'm doing drugs all the time. I'm drinking. Uh, I'm just, my body was just gone, like a wreck, like a broken toy. And I was like fed up. I was fed up. I was like dealing with, you know, there was a low-key low point at the job where we weren't making as much money. And I was like, you know, there's nights where I'm making 1500 and now I'm only making five. And it's like, five is still a good amount of money. But for me, I was like, oh, I'm better than that. I'm above that. This is why am I even here? Why am I showing up? So I'm just doing, I'm doing what I do. And I was lashing out at, at myself because this one night I'm like, I'm starting early with shots. I'm doing pure shots, just tequila. Boom. Throw at it what, back. Like, what place? At Riff Raffs. Okay. Shots is not unheard of for me, but I was starting, I like walked in drunk and I was like, I'm going to keep going. So I walk in at 10, I'm blasted and which is fine. But then I keep going. There's no break. I hit up my drug dealer and he never shows up. So by 1230, I that's when the club like starts getting popping. But I knew that nobody was going to show. I knew it was going to be a slow night and I had asked to go home and they were not cutting anybody. So I said, "Okay, well, heard you and I'm still getting drunk. Still taking shots and the bartenders are looking at me like, "Girl, you look crazy." Like everybody looks crazy, but you definitely are standing out amongst <laughs> Amongst the googlies. When when drunk people call out your drunkness, that's when you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> a, a bartender visibly doing cocaine off of a knife is like, wow, you need to get it together. Um, yeah, yeah. So I apparently I kind of like black out in this. The, the security guard walks me down stairs and puts me in the bathroom. I go in the bathroom. I black out in the bathroom. I'm lay. I'm on the toilet. Just oh. I'm laid out. And so everybody's looking for me, allegedly. But it's like, where do you find a drunk waitress? If she's not underneath the table, she's in the bathroom. Yeah. If she's not in the closet, she's in the bathroom. The security guard didn't tell them where he took you? I don't. Well, no, no, no. They actually took me into the dressing room and I oh. stumbled to the bathroom. Got it. Know? So I'm in the bathroom, the door's closed, and then finally my manager, when the manager starts looking, then it's a wrap. Yeah. So he looks for me in the bathroom, he's going through the door, and the one door that's kind of like closed, I'm in there. He's knocking, 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 and I finally wake up. I crack the door open, and he could see that I'm done, and I was, I just, I couldn't get it together. So then he throws, like, water on me. <gasps> he throws water on me to like wake me up like cold water um which is crazy because like why would you throw water on a black woman and i'm wearing somebody else's hair how dare you like what the <laughs> fuck are you sir oh god so in turn when i finally open the door for his ass i throw up on his men's warehouse suit oh no and that's his one good suit so you know he was over it did the manager was he did he also drink or no yeah, but not like that. Now, I had gone through, like, two managers at this place by now. This is the new last manager, and he didn't like me. 
he had it in for me because I was like, I was always joking and I didn't take nothing serious and I'm roasting everybody in the meetings and I'm laughing at him. And he, he didn't like that. He was like, you don't take me serious. And I was like, no, sir. Um, you don't have a tailored suit on and you're my manager. I'm not, no, I don't respect you. Yeah. Yeah. So you throw up on the suit. Mm-hmm. The, they get the security guard. They get all my things. And my the security guard has to get in the cab with me and drop me off at my house. Ugh. Um, I lose my shoes. I have no shoes. I lost the money that I made that night. Oh, no. I, like, he got me out of the cab, but apparently he didn't get the rest of my shit. Um, so he, I get, he might've even taken, I mean, you don't even know. No, he was a good, he was a was good, good. Okay. he took care of me. Very, okay. very close. Uh, security guard it was a friend, very supportive. Okay. He went to my like bringer shows. He, okay. very, sorry to the security guard. If you no. um, so then, um, so then I'm home and I'm in a relationship at the time and I, I call my roommate. I call, my friend Sandra who was working and I call my girlfriend and everybody gets to the house. I got throw up all over me. My hair's a fucking mess. They all came. They all came. And I'm, I'm at the end. I'm at the end of the road. I'm crying profusely. I was like, I need help. I need help. I need help. I need help. I, I, I can't, I can't do this alone. Wow. I mean, that is, pretty significant that it was you that said it wasn't like because were they all worried about you up until this point at all uh my ex at the time when she like started to watch me she was like you have you have a drinking problem and then when I met Marie Marie came to my job and I was fucked up and she didn't know and then the next day I was like oh yeah I was blackout and she's like I could not tell that you were drunk at all yeah and I was like and I said, yeah, that's how I am all the time. And she's like, oh, you have a problem. But it's so pervasive in service, right? Especially, I mean, I can only speak for New York. I only, I mostly worked in service, I guess, and in Boston a little bit too. But the people I knew that worked in service in New York, also just New York, even if you don't work in service, is such a, it's so easy to get fucked up in New York, you know, like you're not driving public transportation, things are open late, like the culture of it. But like, I mean, I knew, I knew so many chefs that were just you, same thing. Like I didn't know they were basically blackout drunk when I was talking to them. And then you talk to them the next day and they're like, I don't even remember seeing you. Lost souls. Yeah. Lost souls. That's, I mean, the industry is, is scary and it's, um, it will eat you alive, you know, if you don't have a level head and if you don't have an addiction. So I'm like, who are these people? But yeah. Um, but that's so- impressive that you realized you needed help rather than. Yeah, bitch. Eight years later. Yeah, hey, it's better late than that. People stay in that situation for their whole lives. Yeah. And then I got fired from the place and. I was like, everybody's blacking out and getting fucked up here. Why am I getting fired? And he's like, I was like, because I I heard if you tell your job that you are an alcoholic, they can't fire you because that's a disease. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 
And did you? um, He said, well, um, obviously, you know, you have to get the help that you need, but I'm firing you because you had a warning. Um, Because apparently I had, I had went to Miami with somebody else's credit card. I forgot to leave it at work. I didn't use their credit card, but I had got a warning for that. And then, um, and then he's like, you're late all the time and you act like you don't want to be here. So that's, that's why I'm firing you. And I said, he said, you blacking out and do it. We could have, we could have worked past that, but everything else, it's a no. I said, excuse me? Also, I yeah. The, the, you don't want to be here is always such a interesting comment by bosses, right? It's like, who are you to- don't want to fucking be here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, I was like, okay, well, <clears throat> it's clear I'm not going to drink anymore because I got fired from this, this doo-doo nightclub called Riff Raffs. Um, so then, um, so then my journey of trying to get sober was. And you quit it, the other job too? No, I kept that job and that's where, um, that's where it got shaky. It was dicey because I wasn't drinking alcohol, but you know, here and there I was doing cocaine. Okay. But I, but I was saying I was sober. Um, and in my eyes, I was like, I am sober. I'm not drinking, but I was doing cocaine. And so I saw like, now I'm looking back, I saw photos and I was like, I was skinny, skinny, skinny. Cause I was just working these long shifts and I was just working at this one job. And I was, you know, I had like three shifts a week, um, my auntie died. Like there was a lot of things going on and I, I was just fumbling the bag in terms of my sobriety. Cause I was like, well, I, I can't get through this job without something. Oh God. I can like taste the metal. Oh, yeah. When you're just doing Coke and no liquor, it's like, Oh, craquera. it's, it's tough. But so your journey, so you started this journey of sobriety while still doing Coke. Right. And okay. then, and then, um, and then like two years I relapse and I start drinking again. And, um, you know, I'm sorry. The first time you got sober though, how'd you do it? Oh, I just, I was, I was like, I'm not drinking anymore. That was it. Yeah. I'm not drinking anymore. Cause I got fired. I got fired. And I was like, that was a wake up call. Mm, okay. But then later in the sobriety, I was like, I still, I need, Coke to get through these hours. Yeah. Um, so I was like secretly doing like Coke on the side, um, but not drinking. So then, uh, and I don't think I've ever mentioned this before. I don't, I probably never said this out loud, but yeah, that happened. And so then, um, I relapsed with uh, alcohol. And what made that happen? Do you remember what the moment, like what? I hate the, I hate the holidays. They need to cancel it. It needs to be done with. It never brings the best out of a lot of people. You know, I hate the holidays. It was around Thanksgiving. I was having problems with my ex-girlfriend at the time. And so I relapsed. So the relapse lasts for maybe eight months, and uh, maybe seven. And uh, I'm like, the summertime was lit. Like I was drinking, doing coke and riding my bike everywhere. And this is 10 years into waitressing. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm biking in the heat, drunk. On Coke. And, you know, there I, I was just riding all day, all day. Like, I, I'm i like, if I'm going to do this, I'll just ride my bike and that'll get all the toxins out. 
Oh my god. Were you doing comedy at this point too? I was still I was doing comedy too. So when did you start doing comedy? I was doing comedy. I did comedy seven years ago. Started okay. Cool. So yeah. how did you were would you have to drink to do comedy too? Uh I started hosting an open mic and there was no way that I was gonna do that sober. Okay. The open yeah. mic started at three, if so three to six, and you're listening to comedians, like half baked, problematic, homophobic transphobic, all the phobics, all of this. I got to listen to this for three hours. Yeah, I did. I did that. I hosted that for an hour. I mean, uh, for a year. And I was like, there's, yeah, there's no way, but this is before I get sober. Okay. So after I didn't get JFL and Marie did. And That's just for laughs. Anyway, just for, yeah, it's just like- for laughs. It's a festival that honestly does not even matter anymore. Yeah, nothing matters anymore. Nothing, nothing <laughs> ma- but that that especially doesn't matter. And um, yeah, she got it, and I didn't. And I, and Marie, is your comedy best partner. friend? Yes, yeah, my best friend and my comedy partner. She's amazing. She got it, and I I was like unraveled, and so I got blackout in front of her and my ex. Oh, and no. and then that's when that is what took me to where I am now where it's like, I'm completely sober, no drinking, no Coke, no nothing. I was like, you have to, you have to get it together. Yeah. So what was it about that? Cause I have had not exactly your situation, but like, I know that in my past, I have had those moments where like someone doing something that I viewed as the thing to give me value. Like I, my reaction was really poor. Yeah. And so do you, that was what it was that really made you want to be sober. Was that, or was it more than that? I got blackout in front of them. And mm-hmm. so it was like, you're going to, um, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose your inner circle. Cause they're not going to be putting up with this. You know, yeah, were they, were they upset when you were blackout? Um, yeah. I mean, my, my ex at the time was very upset that summer that I was like riding my bike all day and night and I'm drinking. Yeah. And I was coming in late. I would, I wouldn't come in until two o'clock in the morning. Just, I was running away. I don't, I was like, I can't be home because then she'll know. Wow. Since then, like what have been, well, I mean, obviously what have been the positives of, of this? (laughs) I mean, I feel like there's probably a million, but (laughs) the positive of getting sober. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, because I'm sure there's somebody's listening who maybe is in that world. Well, I guess restaurants are closed, but yes. you know, I mean, to a t- young twenty-something, it might uh, seem appealing. Everybody's gonna live a life when they're younger. Have fun, you know what I mean. But there's a point. Then you got to look back and be like, why are you doing this? Like, are you drinking to have fun? Are you already having fun? Are you yeah. drinking and doing drugs because you're bored? Or because it's like, it's social, it's casual. Yeah. Um, are you spending your own money? If you're spending your own money on drugs and alcohol, you have a problem. If someone gives you, if someone gives you a drink, gives you some drugs, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's party goods. It's, it's hors d'oeuvres. But when you are spending your hard-earned money on this stuff, it's, it's going down a very bad habit. And... Um, I'm glad that I went through everything I did because I'm I'm empathetic. I'm sympathetic. I understand people at their lowest, at their highest. 
I know my strengths, my weaknesses. I'm not afraid. I, I love my flaws. I'm unapologetic about who I am as a person. I'm not afraid to say and do anything because I've been through it all. And, yeah. um, you know, if you could get to the point of sobriety, um, it's worth it. It's worth it because, you know, you just have that experience and that wisdom to know that it does get better. Cause I've been, I've been at the darkest point in my life where I didn't want to live. I, I couldn't see what next week could be for me. I didn't that was want when you were drinking and yeah. Yeah. That's when I was bicycling at in 98 degree weather and doing cocaine. Yes. <laughs> and so that was, you kind of look at that as you were running away, you said. Yeah. So do you know what you were running away from? Um, what was my purpose? What, what, like, yeah, I had comedy, but I didn't, I couldn't see where I was going to be in the next like year or two. Ugh, that just and, like, struck my heart. Cause yeah. like so many people, I mean, people's re how people, um, react to that feeling is different. You know, yeah. some people react extremely, some people it, you know, it stews, but I don't think there's a person out there hasn't had a moment at some point in their life where they're like, what, like, what am I even adding to this world? Yeah. That when I watched soul, um, mm. the Pixar movie, uh, yeah. with Jamie Fox, I mean, it really hit me so hard because I, that was me. I was doing what I thought I was supposed to do, but I still didn't think that I was hitting anything in terms of, having a reason to be here or a purpose. Yeah. And so I'm at a much better place because one, I did therapy, but also like I'm on medication, you know, like yeah. I not only when you get sober, then there's all these other things that flood in and you're in like a much darker state. And so when you, get, when you get sober, yeah, when you get sober, it took me forever to realize I can, I really can't do this alone. You know, yeah. I really, I need, really need some assistance. And I was totally against medication forever. And then like, now I'm kicking myself in the fucking ass. Cause I was like, bitch, if you would have just got on meds uh, like three years ago, girl, you wouldn't have been in so much turmoil. You that's how I feel about 25 years ago. Yeah. If like I had, I mean... If somebody, when I was like a teenager, was like, hey, you doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but because yeah. I'm also on medication and I've gone on and off many times just because I'm like, I feel better. And then this is the longest I've ever stayed with it. And I don't know that I'll ever not be on it. No, I mean, I, uh, this pandemic, I don't know how I would have been able to do this without medication. There's no way that like yeah. I have felt bad during, you know, this last year, but who I was feeling like every time I would cross the Williamsburg bridge, I wanted to open the cab door and jump out. That's how bad it was. And now I'm like, I don't make as many jokes about death because I don't feel like that anymore. I don't yeah feel like I shouldn't be here. I mean, there's days where I'm like, oh, this is fucking miserable. I'm miserable. But I mean, everyone is like, look what the hell is going on right now. And yeah, 
It's it's a tricky thing because, you know, as I've explored my own depression, sometimes it it absolutely is an internal, you know, maybe it's chemical, hereditary, I don't know, it my my makeup, sure. But sometimes, and not just this past year, my whole life, sometimes it's that I get so sad about the world where I'm yes. just like, how am I supposed to find my purpose in this world that doesn't make sense? Like that is something that depresses me way more than any internal feeling where I'm just like, okay, I don't understand. Like I'm doing all the right things. I think I'm like a good person and yet X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and that, and it, it, it has been magnified like this past few years has just been like so many slaps in the face of like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this, these monsters are getting rewarded. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's out there. And mm-hmm. I think I've always believed, and I don't know if this is correct, that the reason why a lot of people stay ignorant to issues, I don't think it's because they're all bad people. Mm-mm. I think going there is so painful when you it, really learn about the world. It is fucking heartbreaking and the hopelessness that lingers on. I mean, I've been black all my life and I've learned, I knew about black history and slavery and uh, the Holocaust. I learned all about that, especially being in New York. We, I just, I've, this is nothing new to me, you know, like, yes, the access of seeing it on Twitter all the time and Instagram, we're seeing the visuals more, but you know, I watched roots. Like I saw, you know, how terrible everything was. We went to the Holocaust Museum. Like we, like these, the Native Americans, like I've seen so much that I knew that America wasn't shit a long time ago. Yeah. I'm I'm, like, freedom is beautiful, but at what cost? Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's probably another reason why in like, we could have these underlying feelings of depression too. But, you know, to bring it back, I w- I have learned from this the the past year that there is so much beauty in the small things. Yeah, that I wouldn't have noticed that if I wasn't on medication. Mm-hmm. But I I I love my friends so much more. Like I've been on so many Facetimes and just just people checking in and having these like daily affirmations of like. Yeah, we're all just rough right now, but like, damn, I have you. Like, we're we're talking, we're still laughing. We can find something that makes us feel good. We're we're still funny. We're still beautiful. We're still changing or changing someone's life one random Insta story at a time or one tweet at a time. And it's like, yeah, you know, it it, it it's awful. The world is is just rough to see everything, but like. Yeah, you ha- you have this beautiful daughter. You're with Will, who's incredible. You're still an amazing person. You could be like a grumpy, ignorant racist if you know. There's if I people, really wanted if to. you really wanted to, <laughs> you could. Well, it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I listen. I have never practiced. I I always have tried to practice gratitude and I do. And I've definitely every, I meditate every morning and part of that meditation or prayer or whatever you want to call it is I, I go through, you know, my family and I 
thank I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the things and I practice gratitude. And so I know that life is good. And I agree with you about the small things. I just know for me, like as a, like as a very sensitive person and it started when I was a kid too. Like you were talking about like going to Holocaust museum and stuff. Like I remember being in school, you know, it'd be like Martin Luther King. It would be like black history month. And we would watch like a documentary where people were getting sprayed with the hose. And I would raise my hand and be like, uh, I don't understand. And they'd be like, okay, we're moving on to math, you know? And I was like, but like, I would like, I've, I've been like that my whole life. And I would get like mad that people just sort of, accepted it because I always found those things so unacceptable but then I don't know I just (sighs) it makes life easier though when you just be like well it is what it is yeah you know it's I think there's a a fine line and I think where I'm I've gotten to as I've gotten older is you have to accept it and have boundaries where it doesn't destroy you on a daily basis because you can let it, but you can accept it that it's real, but also do whatever you can to make things better. Yeah. You know, and not kind of go one direct, like, cause there, I think there's some people who completely ignore it and they're completely ignorant about it and they get excited about it. Those people are in a bubble. Yeah. And, and I, every now and then I'm like, man, what a life, you know? Um, and then there's the people I think who carry it on their back 24 seven. And I think there's some place in the middle where you're like, all right, you know, my contribution to society is, you know, this project or this volunteer thing or this whatever. And then I got to have some part of my day where I'm just like, enjoying life and not feeling guilty that my life's okay. Yeah. You can't, you can't feel, you can't feel like that at all. Like I, there's moments like during a, like right now, like I would say, you know, it's not that like every it's, this is such a terrible thing to say out loud, but I, I'll wake up and yeah, I'm not getting all these offers and I'm not, extremely busy with work. I'm I'm doing okay. I could afford my rent and the buy all these lights that I love and plants. Mm-hmm. But like I'll just do put on makeup at 8 p.m. I have nowhere to go. I put makeup on and I look at myself and I'm like, Sydney, you are beautiful. You're a beautiful person. You're beautiful like you're you're doing fine. You know why is that an awful thing to say? I don't know because it, it's it's vain. It's vain. Like you're you, you're attractive, you know. But I think the reason why, like, I had someone told me they're like Sydney. I don't know you. You've been glowing since this. Um, everything has went down, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like you think I look better, but it's I'm doing better. I'm yeah. better inside, you know. Like I am putting myself first. So when someone says that. Like, that's the first thing people say about me. Like, oh, Cindy's so hot. She's attractive, beautiful or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not like gloating, guys. This is what people say. And (laughs) in in my head. You are gorgeous. I'm I'm like, why don't they see that I'm also hardworking and funny and smart and blah, blah, blah. But then I, at 8 p.m., I do my makeup and I'm like, you are a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. You're like, you just, you radiate from within 
and you try to make people feel good and you you show up for your friends when you can and you try to do as much as you can for others and you are a beautiful person and that's just how i have to accept it and that, i love that i know it's it feels so corny saying but but it's not i mean it's the <laughs> hardest it's the hardest cuz like my one of my therapists she always used to talk about um head versus heart and i i hope i i hope i remember the right way she said it but like it w- cuz i would talk to her a lot about i used to struggle not as much anymore but like i logically knew that i was great mm-hmm. logically knew that i was smart beautiful a good person talented all that stuff but in in my head but the wounds of my heart would like try to tell me otherwise. Right. And so it's this con or, or maybe it's the opposite. I can't remember if it was my head would tell whatever, but my head and heart, it's like they're constantly in a battle. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, for you it was alcohol and drugs. And for some people it's, you know, they're workaholics or they get into shitty relate whatever it is. But you know, a lot a lot of people are just trying to escape that like inner battle. You know, not only the inner battle of like the world is so awful, how can this be real? But also then like being awful to yourself. Like there's just going dark. I I don't know. I think going dark, more people go there than they admit. I really do. Like you were talking about like feeling, thinking about death a lot. Mm -hmm. I really have tried to make it a point in my comedy and I try to do it very responsibly. And maybe I haven't always achieved that because I know I've had people be like, oh, I can't believe you're like making joke, making light of suicide. And I'm like, well, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I never had the balls to do it. I never did it. Yeah. But I have had like, I can specifically think of about four, five moments where it was to a point where I was like, okay, I feel like my only options are that and I don't want to pick that but someone's got to give me another option right like I felt like I wanted to like ram like run my head into a wall Mm -hmm. and I think that there's an interesting area there when it comes to that because I think a lot of people get nervous to even talk about that stuff because they're like well I wasn't like totally suicidal I didn't like actually cut my wrist it's like yeah but ruminating about it Mm -hmm. I think it's something that's important to talk about because I think I think it's hard to be alive if you I think everyone who's alive thinks about death sometimes. I was I was um addicted. Like I kept I would find a way to like make jokes about me dying or or death and or like watch documentaries or just Google. I was obsessed. I was really way too involved and now looking back at it, I was so vocal and I had people, I had a couple of friends that's like, Hey girl, I like, I I know you think it's funny, but I'm actually worried. Yeah. You know? Like they're like, the way you're saying it is funny, but you're talking about it too much. So I don't, I don't know, but I was being, I didn't care. I was just talking so much openly about death and the thoughts that I was having. I was like, that's also that was also a breaking point too. That was like uh two years ago. Two mm. years ago. Um, yeah, I was just I was too in it. And now I'm like, 
I have to think more positive. I have to be like grateful. I have to talk about like the good things that are happening because, you know, you don't want to be remembered as that person that just was like, damn, I, I was so down. That's all I thought about. I remember we were in, I was, I came to LA for pilot season, mm-hmm. like maybe two or three years ago. And we went to lunch and yeah. like, we both, we both were in it. Just I like, know. And we I, were sad. Just, we were, we were both in a bad place. And yeah. I remember, and the thing that always, I, it's always such a weird thing when you hang out with someone who you can kind of vibe is also in that place. Yeah. And then I remember like, I was going to text you after, but then I was like, what's the point? Like, I was just, I, I, yeah. Like I no, thought, but we hit, we hit each other up after and it was like, no, it was so good seeing you and like talking. hundred percent. But like there was, I felt like I didn't have a lot to give. I remember like yeah. that feeling, not that I have to give, but I would say that, that three years ago, I think it was like, yeah. And two, two years ago, I think it was two years ago. That was my last real downhill. Not that I haven't been sad since then. Of course I get sad about stuff, but like there's a difference between sad and depression. Yeah. I would say, I would say you did like not a 180, but it feels like a 180. I, I feel like, well, that's when I committed to medication. Yeah. Cause I, I had gone, I've, gone off and on Zoloft, I think, eight or 10 times over the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I really stuck with it this time. And this is the crazy thing. So I, when you, like when people, I remember people would always say these cliche things about having a kid, like, you know, like your kid, you have purpose. And I remember always being like, I never want to be one of those people that like my own, my only purpose is a mom, like just so resistant to like losing my identity or whatever. Right. Yeah. The thing is like when you, not that you can't be, I don't want to be depressed for my, you know, like my kid might see me sad, yeah but I don't want that energy to permeate. I, I, she should get the best of me because there's so much more to me than depression. That's just a part of me. That's not my personality. And so it was really weird because uh, my attitude about kids before I, I married my husband, my attitude about kids was always like, I don't know. And then when I married my husband, it more turned into definitely because I wanted his kid. And, um, and then we kind of, not definitely, but it was, and I'm like a little older. And so like my attitude was like, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Like we, mm-hmm. I really wanted to be chill about it. And it was crazy because I, it was end of 2019 and I, it was the first, I'd seen therapists, but I'd never seen like a psychiatrist. And so I made an appointment with a psychiatrist yes. because I had just had that last really bad dip. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to keep like being up and then down, being up and then down. And so I saw her and like, I finally got like a legit diagnosis, which I always knew it was going to be. What was it? Uh, It's depression. And then I have social anxiety. Oh, but it's not okay. that kind of but social anxiety is a lot of misconceptions because mm-hmm. I can talk to people. I, I can make a friend anywhere I go. That's not my social. My social anxiety is when the person leaves. I mm. ruminate ruminate about everything I said, or they mad at me, or are they talking about that's my Oh yes. It sucks. It's it sucks. It makes me seek out a lot of reassurance. I'm better now, but it it's not so that plus depression. So anywho, um, <laughs> so I go on medication, I commit to it. I I commit to whatever it's gonna take. And then I think it was like 
I don't know how many, a month after I found out I was pregnant. And I, the, I was able, you know, if someone's listening and they want to get pregnant, there's, there's different medications you can be on when you're pregnant. SSRIs are one of them. Some Mm -hmm. people disagree, but I was like, I remember talking to my doctor and my psychiatrist and they were both like, what is better that you are depressed and anxious and it enters the womb and you are an, an, an anxious and depressed container for your child, or you take this very low dose medication feel good. And then that baby feels good. And I'm like, sign me up for the second one. So it was just so weird because there's a part of me and maybe this is, you know, really out there, but I feel like I wasn't given the opportunity to be a mom until I made that true, true commitment to my mental health, because it was literally like, I got the prescription. I saw the psychiatrist. I like journaled. And then I was pregnant and I was like, okay. I don't think I could have done motherhood in a pandemic. No. In in any other state of mind. And now I am like I've never been more committed to my mental health ever. Yeah. I uh I was noticing that on your Instagram, but also uh <laughs> oh, so. Oh, that's so weird. I just feel like um sometimes like Instagram and Twitter we we think we're doing one thing, but you can underline, see the somewhat of like the projection or whatever. Hmm, and I feel like when I see your Instagram or anything you post, it just felt like you were like floating, like you were just in it, huh. ha- having a good time and not like overthinking anything. I feel more, not that I've ever been disingenuous, like a liar. No, 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 hey, not, not but, a liar, not a liar. But I feel, I feel very, very comfortable with who I am. Yes. This is it. It's not, not much is going to change. And you know what? I'm, I, I like, I'm pretty okay with what it is, who I am. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think when we spoke for lunch and now where we are with it, I mean, if anybody's listening, it does work. It can work. And ah. yeah, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe I'm not at the end of the tunnel, but I'm, I'm, closer to the end of the tunnel than I was before. And yeah, when I got on medication, I was able to, you know, I got my own apartment. I thought I was like, I don't, oh, I won't be able to afford my apartment. I was able to afford my apartment. I started taking care of myself, working on myself. Then I met somebody and, you know, I, I, she's like everything that I want in a, in a partner, in a person. And I, I feel like, I wasn't able to do that in my last relationship because I wasn't ready. I wasn't putting my mental health first, but now I'm in such a better place, you know, and like there's still work to be done or whatever, but now I'm able to receive love and give love. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cause I, I met my husband I, I don't know if I was on medication, but I was in a good spot. Like I was in a very positive mental health space mm-hmm. at that point in my life. And I knew, you know, they, there's that like saying like, you know, no one can love you until you love yourself. I more so think it's like no one can love you until you know how you want to be loved. loved. Yeah. And I really wanted someone who I didn't want to edit at all. Like right away, I he knew – all about my mental health shit. He knew all about my, you know, sexual past, dating past, insecurity. Like I just was 
balls out from the beginning. And he's a good man. He's a great man. He came on the, when he was on our podcast, he just, he loves you so much. And it's like, like obsessed and, you know, you can hear that. And so like, you don't just have a partner, you have someone who like looks at you and they want to be with you, you know? Well, it's, I, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, I know. I'm sorry. No, but like, <laughs> sorry. The, no, but it's the truest. It's one of the true. And I have this from a few people in my life, but it is, it is such an unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that you could get that from a partner. Oh yes. You know, like I thought I, I just, you know, we're not perfect, but like there's such a, I don't know. It's, it's a really nice, when you can let someone see, he has seen the worst sides of me, but has never blamed me for that. Has has held me accountable. Yeah. Has wanted me to work on myself and vice versa. You know, I've seen, listen, he, I used to try to work on this joke. He comes across <laughs> as the chillest dude. You know, who gets to see all his anxiety attacks. Yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, he likes to. <laughs> He 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 dances around. He does his zip zap it do. He's always shimmying his shoulders and whatnot. And then he mm-hmm. comes home and he's like, "I think the post office is stealing our mail." You know, like all this <laughs> shit. Uh, but I love it. You know, um, yeah. I don't. I don't. I can't make this podcast about how much I love my husband. I, I know, no. But I'm I'm <laughs> saying like you could have all these ups and downs and like breakdowns and breakthroughs. But like at the end of the day. Like who do you who do you have around you to to pick you up and also see you when you when you glowing when you're in a better place and so yeah that's why it is important to be like you do have a fantastic husband because he's he's seen you when you're fucking like laying on the floor yep. at at the moment where you're like I have nothing else you know yeah and so, I and like that's what you know your best friend Marie mm-hmm. saw you. In those moments. Oh, terrible. Still your best friend. Yeah. She's, she's seen me. She's taught me how to love myself better yeah. and more. And when I would say bad things about myself, she would be like, Sydney, I'm not going to let you do that. She's like, you are amazing. You're so funny. You're so talented. You work hard. You think about people. You're thoughtful. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> So I'm glad that I had somebody to remind me that even when you feel like you're a mess and everything is falling down, like you, somebody's going to be there when you get up. <laughs> yeah. My mom, my very cute seven, eight year old immigrant mom who like she, she, every time I'd get like upset about something, she goes, you know what they say? And I was like, what? What do they say? She's like, if you fall. He's okay. Don't stay on the floor. Stand up. And there's like something about the way she says it. Where like I hear her little voice in my head, and I'm just like, okay, I just need to lay on the tiles for like ten more minutes and sob. But like, yeah, as long as you get up. I mean, ah, uh, this was so great. I feel like yeah. it, Sydney. Very important question that I ask all my guests at the end of the show: Should I get bangs? I think bangs are a lifestyle. Like it's not a hairstyle at all. It's like, if you wear bangs, that is what you have to commit to. You have to do turtlenecks, cardigans. I mean, bangs and crop tops, just opposites, you know, for me. So 
if I mean, if you're really going through it and you want to get bangs right now, this is a perfect time because you're stuck in the house. Mm-hmm, you're stuck mm-hmm. in the house. So it's it's not like going to affect what you're wearing because we're wearing our underwear only. That's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you could you could do you could do bangs. I think you could do it. I would I would love to see it. But I also would want to see your beautiful face. And sometimes bangs cover that. This was the most thoughtful answer. Thank you so much, Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. This was such a delight. Uh, Is there anything you want to share with people about, you know, you have a new podcast? Yes. Yes. I have a new podcast called Hobby Hunter. Uh, It's on HeadGum. Please. It's wherever you listen to podcasts. I also have uh, my other podcast that's in first position, The Unofficial Expert, which you have been on and will as well. So please listen to that. And lastly, I I think that if you are worried about therapy or medication or just know that the access is out there if you ask for help or if you think you need help and don't feel like anybody is judging you because the people who are around you that's supposed to help are going to put you in the right path. That yeah. don't don't let the stigma stop you from feeling joy because because I've been able to feel it and witness it and see it around the people that I love most and it's it's great it makes me sleep better at night yeah and if for anyone listening who's can't afford therapy because I know mm-hmm. the system is fucked up there are free resources so I'll yes. link to those yes I'll link to those, those. yes please good. yeah thank you so much Sydney thanks for having me bye. I want to end today's episode with some resources for anyone in need, starting with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can call them 24-7. They're free and confidential. And their number is 800-273-8255. And their website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. There's also the Trevor Project for LGBTQ youth. You can call them at 866-488-7386, and their website is thetrevorproject.org. Also, if you're looking for a therapist and you can't afford it, um, I would suggest going to the National Alliance on Mental Illness website at nami.org. You find your city's chapter. They have a chapter in basically every city, and it will give you resources for low-cost or free therapy. Um, And if you don't need these resources and you feel generous, I suggest donating to these resources because they need money and they're helping people. So if you can spare some money, please give to the Trevor Project, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, or the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, Also, Psychology Today is a really great resource. They um, can help you find a therapist that is sliding scale or a therapist that takes your insurance. So uh, psychologytoday.com, go there, click on find a therapist or find a provider and, um, and they can help you as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you have been enjoying the show, please give it a nice rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the show. Uh, If you want to reach out to me, you can always do so on Twitter, Julia Rossi, or you can write to the show, should I get bangs pod at Gmail. And I hope you come back next week. Till then, take care. 